0: Well, this morning we're going to go ahead and, and uh, continue on in our, our series in the, the book of 2 Peter. And today we're going to look at 2 Peter chapter 2. And if you remember, in the first chapter of 2 Peter, we learned that we are partakers of the divine nature. The, the old nature that we had has been removed and it has been replaced with the nature of God inside of us. And we learned that we had all those qualities that we were looking at, faith and patience and, and all those things, that those are actually who we are today because of the new nature that's been placed inside of us even if we don't feel like that we're loving people or that we have brotherly kindness even if we don't feel like we have these things inside of us the fact is that christ has made us brand new and we do have those things inside of us we have the divine nature the nature of god inside of us and that is who we are now in this chapter though we're going to start dealing with those who would rise up and twist the word of god I've been just entitled it "False Prophets" because in this title, in this, this chapter, Peter is dealing with false prophets that would rise up within the church and lead his people astray. The fact is that the, uh, even Jesus warned about those who would rise, uh, wolves that would rise up in sheep's clothing, with the only purpose of of uh, padding their pockets and leading people astray. And in this one, Peter, one, is he's warning us about them, and two, he's, he's basically letting them know that if you're going to be this kind of person, what, what will happen to you? There's, there's, there's consequences for living that kind of life. And the truth is, we're going to learn that the people that live that kind of life, that are trying to lead the flock away, that in the process of condemning others are actually condemning themselves. But primarily, he's just wanting to warn us about them so that we can be wise in who we listen to, wise in who we get fed from, so that way we know that we're staying on track with God and not being led astray by something else. Let's go ahead and look at the, we're actually going to start in the, the last couple of scriptures in, in, uh, in chapter 1 in Second Peter, because I think it lays the foundation of what we're going to be dealing with with these false prophets prophets rising up. In 2 Peter 1, 19 through 21, it says, So we have the prophetic word made more sure, to which you do well to pay attention, as to a lamp shining in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. But know this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but by men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. Well, the first thing I want, to, I want to point out is that, first off, no scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation, and we can look at that two ways, and the first way that I want to point out is, is all scripture is actually inspired by God. This wasn't some man that, that got, the scripture is not made by some man who just got this bright idea and said, well, it would, be, it would be nice if we had the Ten Commandments and he wrote them down. But in fact, they were inspired by God. It wasn't Moses' interpretation, but it was actually inspired by God. Peter says that men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. Was the one who wrote these 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 uh, prophecies, the the Bible. In essence, the Bible that we use today was inspired all by God. In matter of fact, if you look in Second Timothy chapter three and verse sixteen, Paul says this to Timothy. He says, "All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness." And you'll even look at. Uh, I've the Scripture doesn't come to mind, but, but Peter even refers to Paul's writings as Scripture in the New Testament. So we can be assured that as we read the Bible, that this isn't just men writing something down, a good stories that they're thinking about, but these are actually words from God written to us that are powerful and effective in our lives even today. But we find here that right now, that we live in a dark world. He says right now that we're to pay attention as to a lamp speaking of the word this prophetic word pay attention to it as to a lamp shining in a dark place we live in a dark place right now and the truth is when Jesus comes back when the morning star arises all is going to be illuminated but right now we live in a in a dark world and the only thing that we have to light our path is the word the word is a light in the darkness. And matter of fact, when you have Jesus living inside of you, Jesus even said that we'd be a, a lamp on a lampstand or a city on a hill, that we would be a light in the darkness because of the word in us. But it's the word that illuminates these dark places. As we, as we look at the word, we find out where salvation is, how we, we come to salvation. And in an essence, it's our lamp in a dark place. It's like a lighthouse. You guys know what a lighthouse purpose serves in the, in the, as the ships come up upon upon land, they put lighthouses up so they know where to go, or really they know where not to go. You don't want to head towards the lighthouse, but you get what I'm saying. The whole point is, is that the lighthouses guide these ships. And if we're not careful, if we don't look at the scripture the way it's intended to be looked at, then in essence, we're moving our lighthouse, we're moving our lamp and we begin to be directed to the wrong place. We need to make sure that we're interpreting the scripture the way that God intended it because it's not a matter of our own interpretation, but it's what God was trying to get put, put forward in his word, that we would understand it. We want to make sure that we're not moving the lighthouse. We're not moving our, our guiding light so we're not being to- drawn to the wrong direction. First things first, when we're interpreting scripture, we need to make sure we're using other scripture. We need to use the Bible to interpret the Bible. If we base a theology around one scripture, you're just asking for trouble. If you want to set up an entire theology based on one scripture, particularly if that one scripture has many other scriptures that don't line up with it, the first thing that you can know if you take one scripture and you look at others that don't seem to, to be in line, there's ten other scriptures that say one thing and this one says something else to you, probably misunderstanding what's trying to be said because how many know that God is the same today, yesterday, and tomorrow? He's not going to change as i was preparing this message like i was thinking of a couple specific examples to me that i see people misinterpret all the time because they're taking it out of context and not taking a look at what the scripture says in other areas and the first one that i was going to bring up is, is in first corinthians eleven twenty seven through 29 it says therefore whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the lord but man must examine himself and in so doing so he is to eat the bread and drink of the cup for he who eats and drinks eats and drinks judgment to himself if he does not judge the body rightly in the first place, most people go with this scripture, going, oh, I've got to judge my body, right? I've got to examine myself. As they, they go, well, that must mean before I take communion, I've got to sit down and think about all the sins I've committed before I take communion. I've got to sit down and examine myself and get myself right with God. How many of you know that you can't make yourself right with God because Jesus did that for you? We look at the scripture and we can see that, that in this particular case that we've already been made right with God. So when we're to examine ourselves, we need to make sure that we're believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what it's talking about. To do this in an unworthy manner is to take of the cup, not not recognizing what Jesus Christ did for you. And you go through the scriptures and you see that over and over. Christ made you righteous. There's nothing that you can do to add to it. But if we look at these scriptures out of context without the rest of the Bible, we can be confused and led astray. Another one that I that I, I see that, that's easy to misplace or misplace your your guidance with or, or not understand what's going on is in Colossians 124. And Paul says this, now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I do my share on the behalf of his body, which is the church, in filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. And the first thing people would do is when they say, Oh, there's something lacking in Christ's afflictions. And look, Paul here says that that I that I have to suffer to make up for that. So the first thing that people go to is they think that, oh, maybe if I do something bad, I really got to suffer for it. But the truth is, all through Scripture, the Bible shows that Christ is the once and for all sacrifice. In Hebrews, it says that there's, there's no other sacrifice for sin because he paid it once and for all. I want you to know, in regards to salvation, there was nothing lacking in Christ. But if you read just a little bit farther, he starts talking about how he's a minister to the gospel. The only thing that that Christ was lacking and that Christ didn't do for us is preach the gospel. That's why Paul was suffering to preach the gospel. But you can see how easy it is to misunderstand what's being said there if we don't take it in context with the rest of the scripture. So like I said, the first thing we need to do is, is we need to use the scripture to interpret the scripture. And the truth is, there's actually a lot of things in the Bible that people have different opinions about. There's a lot of big ones like the gifts of the Spirit. Some people believe in them, some people don't. And I'll be honest with you. If somebody doesn't believe in the gifts of the Spirits, because as a church we do, we believe in speaking in tongues and the gifts of healing and all the gifts of the Spirit. But if somebody does not, that doesn't mean I can't have fellowship with them as long as they don't waver on one point, and that is Jesus Christ is the only way to salvation as long as we are getting people saved, I'm not going to to break fellowship with somebody just because we disagree on something that's not a heaven or hell issue. Christ is the only way to salvation, and that's the one thing that we can never waver on, we can never be led astray on. And unfortunately, there are so many people out there that have been led astray in that area. And like I said Peter is really pointing out that we need to be very careful about taking scripture out of context and twisting it to meet our own needs. You know, I gave you a couple of of uh, examples, but there's many others where people will, will take the scripture and try to argue that homosexuality is okay or we're just misunderstanding it or they're trying to argue these different things. They're basically trying to tickle people's ears. But the truth is that we can trust the scripture at its word because it was inspired by God. They're not it's not clever stories of men but it's the Word of God written to us. And we must be diligent to not twist what is written to to our own devices, but to, to trust these words. Because the truth is, you know, the Bible wasn't written to scholars and very educated people. It was written to people like you and me so that we could understand it. And we just need to be careful that we're following it really at face value. Amen? All right. And I can tell that this is... Not going fast enough. Second Peter two, one through three. <laughs> Second Peter two: one through3, it says, "But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will also be false teachers among you who will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing swift destructions upon themselves. Many will follow their sensuality, and because of them, the way of the truth will be maligned." And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their judgment from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not sleep. How many you know that there are many people out there that would use the words of God and twist them for their own gain? There's people out there that their interest is purely fame and fortune. And that's what we're dealing with here, is people that are using the word of God for sordid gain, He says that they will secretly introduce heresies and even denying the master who bought them. You know, you were bought with a price. And these people are denying that. And all they want is they're following their sensuality and their greed is causing them to do these things. Now I'm not here to judge any man that's out there that's ministering the word of God. And you can make those, you can look and see for yourself for the most part if somebody's, is out there just in it for themselves. I've seen many people like that. But the truth is, we need to be careful that we're not being like that, but more importantly, we need to guard ourselves against people who are. Also, there are many people who would rise up and share a gospel that is so close to the truth, but just missing in one key fact. You know, there's a problem when you're preaching the gospel, but Jesus isn't the Son of God. There's a problem when you're preaching the gospel and, and there, there's actually faiths out there that would preach that, that Jesus was not the Son of God. There's actually ones that would go out there and preach that he was just a man or they would preach that, that yes, Jesus was the Son of God but he was not God himself. How many you know that God was the only one that could pay for the sins of all mankind? If Jesus wasn't God, he could pay the, for the sins of himself but not all of us. But these Gospels, are they're so close to the real thing. So people think that they're on the right track. You know, they move the lighthouse just a little bit, so it looks like they're going the right way, but they've been, been moved off the right track. If you're worshiping a Jesus who's not the Jesus of the Bible, you've got problems. If you've accepted another Jesus as your Savior, even by the same name, you've got problems. The truth is, I think this is one of the most incredible attacks in, uh, of the enemies that's being perpetrated to this day right now, As we have people that think they're saved, but they're really not because they've been led astray by these people that are, only care about themselves and greed and, and other things. Many of them are deceived themselves, but they're leading not only others to destructions, but even to them, even themselves. In other places, there's, there's teachers that are going to teach contrary to, to Scripture and they'll even use scriptures to prove their stance, but like I said, they'll use them out of context. And all the while, they're just tickling their parishioners' ears. They're, they're giving them the, the things that they want to hear, the kind, of, kind of a choose-your-own religion type thing. And they, oh, no, you can do this. You're forgiven. You're fine. You can do whatever you want. God still loves you, which is true. God still loves them. But you were bought with a price so that you could live holy, not that you could do whatever you want. We have a Uh, we're free from sin, not free to sin. Amen? And 2 Timothy 4, 3-4 says, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires, and will turn away their ears from the truth, and will turn aside to myths. I'm sure you've seen them out there. but We need to make sure that we're guarding our hearts against such things. Make sure that our our lighthouse hasn 't been moved, but we 're still going in the right direction, because the truth is they 'll preach stuff, and they 'll even appear to use scripture to back up their stance and if you 're not, not educated, if you haven 't spent time in the word, if you haven 't had your mind renewed it 's very easy to be distracted and it 's very easy to be deceived it 's one of the, the greatest reasons for spending time in the word and knowing the word, so when you do listen to because the truth is I listen to other preachers, I listen to podcasts and And for the most part, you can be fed on what they're saying, but if they say something that's not in the line of the Word of God, you want to take that part and throw it out. You don't want to let that be ministered into your heart. But how will you know if you don't actually spend some time in the Word and know who your God is, know what the Word says? And the truth is, they can make it sound real good. Came across this example that kind of illustrates exactly what's happening. It says every year, thousands upon thousands of wildebeests run a marathon of amazing proportions. The African savanna has been dry for weeks. Now, rains have come to the north, and small herds of wildebeests join other herds of the hog like creatures as they run for days, covering many miles at a thundering speed. The larger herd grows to an unbelievable 2 million. Driven by instinct, the wildebeest perform their yearly ritual running at full speed. Then all at once they come to an orchestrated stop They're at the edge of a particular river. They sense danger in the air. You know, when you sense danger in the air, it's a good, uh, many times the Holy Spirit will let you know. You know danger, Will Robinson. Run away! It says, they're at the edge of a particular river, they sense danger in the air. Baboons in the tree overhead watch with great anticipation, knowing what is going to happen next. A few wildebeests venture to the edge of the river. The water is so inviting after the dry season and after the long, long journey. Oh, to take from the cool water. The feeling of danger is intense, but so is their desire for the refreshing water. You know, sometimes we'll get that too. We'll have that feeling that something's not right, but they make it look so good. So you want to press in. Oh, you know, maybe they're right. You start to, to justify within yourselves. But be careful, especially when you feel the Holy Spirit telling you to, to back up, run away. You feel that check in your spirit that something's not right. It says, Eventually, a few dare to drink, watching ever so carefully, but the danger is not visible. The few wildebeests that ignore their feelings of danger and begin to drink are at once taken in by the cool, refreshing river water. They drink more heartily. Then in one swift action, large, hungry crocodiles emerge from beneath the river. They grab their victims in their powerful jaws and they yank them into the water. The wildebeests are torn limb from limb but only because the famished crocodiles cannot, 30, cannot swallow them whole. The baboons swoon and howl, but the declaration of impeding doom is all too late. What had briefly seemed a refreshing source of life-giving water quickly turned into a deceptive death trap. Mm-hmm. This so easily happens in the world, and people are being led astray by something that seems like it's life-giving. But we would be do well to, like I said, feel for that check in your spirit, test it against the word of God. That's the only way that you know that you can have your lighthouse in the right place. In Matthew seven fifteen through 20, it says, Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. In Romans 16, 17 through 18, it says, Now I urge you, brethren, keep your eye on those who cause dissensions and hindrances contrary to the teaching which you learned, and turn away from them. For such men are slaves, not of our Lord Christ, but of their own appetites. And by their smooth and flattering speech, they deceive the hearts of of the unsuspecting. So if we know that there are people out there who are looking to take advantage of us, take advantage of God's people, and we're clearly warned of them, how is it that we can know of those people? How do we know that they're not truly mighty men of God or if they're, they're trying to deceive? And I want you to know they're not going to come out and tell you, hey, I'm just trying to deceive you for your money. No one's ever, no ever going to come out and say it. Well, the Bible says we test them against the Word of God. In 1 John 4:1, it says, "Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world." We're supposed to test the spirits. We're supposed to test what they're preaching. You know, when you, when you pick up a book from the bookstore or the library and it's, it's got this amazing title and, and, you know, how to be what God wants you to be and all these things, when you're reading it, you need to make sure that you're testing what they're saying against the Word of God. Because there are many books out there that would, that would give you the implication that they're coming from a scriptural standpoint, but they're not at all. Test them against the Word of God. You know, if you listen to messages from other speakers, if you're listening to podcasts, all these things, you need to make sure that, Are you listening to, the, to ministers on the radio, you need to test them against the Word of God. Because if it's, not, if it's not coming up against the Word of God, if you notice there's some difference, you need to just get away from it. Don't let that stuff into your heart. I want to tell you this, when you listen to me, you need to test what I say against the Word of God. It's one of the reasons why I use so much scripture when I preach, because I want to make it very clear that it's not the word of, word of a man, but the word of God. But test what I'm saying against the word of God. And I want to make it clear, this, isn't, this doesn't mean that you can't learn from teachers. You can't learn from people in areas that you don't understand and you need to get some help from. But you do need to make sure they're men of God. You need to be careful. If they're wavering in a bunch of other areas, you probably don't want them ministering into your lives. And be wary when their teaching is not backed up by Scripture. Because the thing is, if somebody's teaching contrary to the Word of God, you can know they're false. If they're teaching that sin in any way is okay, you know that they're a false teacher. If they're teaching hate or judgment on the lost or the unsaved, you know that they're, they're in contrary to the Scripture. And I've said it before, but those people that stand out in front of strip clubs or abortion clinics and are hurling, you know, insulting daggers at people and telling them they're going to hell, that's not the love of God. God loves those people just as much as He loves us. When it comes to hearing the Word of God, we need to operate in wisdom. We need to trust the Holy Spirit to teach us and give us understanding of the Word of God. Paul even told Timothy to consider his teaching, but look to the Lord for understanding. In 2 Timothy 2, 7, consider what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Even, even Paul was telling his disciples to test what I'm saying. In 2 Peter 2, 4 through 7. We find that there is a penalty for sin. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to pits of darkness reserved for judgment, and did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a preacher of righteousness with seven others, when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly, and if he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to destruction by reducing them to ashes, having made them an example to those who would live ungodly lives thereafter, live ungodly lives thereafter, we see that there's a penalty for sin, and that that penalty is real. There is a judgment for sin. In Romans 6.23 it says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. I want you to know there is a penalty for sin. As we look at these scriptures, we find that, you know there's really not a whole lot about the angels after their fall. There's some scriptures in, in Revelation and some in the Old Testament that, that uh, many scholars believe speak of the angels fall from heaven. But in Revelation it says a third of the stars were cast from the sky And it's referring to when Lucifer and his angels rose up against God. They committed that sin. They were cast out. The angels, when they sinned, were cast into a dark place reserved for judgment. And in the ancient world, we know that uh, when Noah was around, the world was a pretty bad place. You know, it might remind you a lot of what we're living in today. And we find that God did not spare the ancient world, but just preserved Noah, the only righteous man and his family, seven other people, his family. Even though he preached for 120 years proclaiming righteousness, the rest of the world were living their life to the end, thinking everything was okay. But there was a penalty for living that kind of life. Sodom and Gomorrah destroyed for their sin as well. Many people think it was just a sodomy and sexual sin but really there was all kinds of stuff going on in that city and that city was destroyed you know god, peter is making it clear that god shows no partiality when it comes to sin and disobedience if god would hold angels or even the entire world accountable for sin at one time in the old we know that he's he's the same today he is just And I'm going to spend a little bit more time in it uh, and a a couple more slides here. But I, I realize that I want to make it clear as we go that I'm not saying that he's going to judge the world today. I want you to know that he placed all of his judgment in his son. God is the same today, yesterday, and tomorrow. And there is a penalty for sin. And I thank God that Jesus paid that penalty for us. I want to make it very clear that I'm not saying that even though today we're living in a rough world, God's going to send another flood. Matter of fact, he promised that he wouldn't. He's not going to destroy this world. You know, when we have hurricanes come against uh, different areas, that's not God's judgment because God judged this world already in his Son. And if he's still judging the world today, after he judged it in his Son, well, that would mean that Jesus wasn't quite enough. And if Jesus wasn't quite enough, we can just go home now because Paul says that we are the most to be pitied. If Jesus isn't who he says it was. If Jesus doesn't rise from the dead victorious. We also find in 2 Peter uh, <clears throat> 2, 7-10, through 10, it says, If you rescued righteous lot, oppressed by the central conduct of unprincipled men, for by what he saw and heard, the righteous man, while living among them, felt his righteous soul tormented day after day by their lawless deeds, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from temptation and to keep the unrighteous under punishment for the day of judgment, and especially those who indulge the flesh in its corrupt desire and despise authority. We also find that Before here, we learned that that God knows how to punish the wicked. We find here that He knows how to rescue the righteous. While it's true there is a penalty for sin, God rescues the righteous. How many of you in this room are righteous? If you're saved, you should be raising your hand. It's not anything that you did, it's what Christ did in you. God will rescue the righteous. We find out that Lot lived in Sodom. Peter said that Lot was a righteous man. Why he was living in that city, being tormented daily, I, I'll never know. It's something we'll have to ask him someday why he, why he stuck around. But it says that he was tormented daily. But when God destroyed those cities, when he destroyed Sodom, he rescued righteous Lot and his family, except for Lot's wife, because she, she took a look back. You know, her problem was that she was saved But she looked back longingly at what she had. And in the end, it ended up destroying her. We also find that he preserved Noah, like we read in the last scripture, that he did not spread the ancient world, but he preserved Noah because he was righteous. He was a preacher of righteousness. See, the truth is that we are righteous in Christ, and we have been rescued. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says, He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, so that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. We are the righteousness of God because of Jesus Christ and what He did. And we know that God saves the righteous. Which is why I can guarantee you that that God is not judging this world because sin is taken care of in His Son. We also find that salvation frees us from the bondage of sin. And it frees us from the desires of the flesh. When it's talking about here is, and especially those who indulge the flesh in its corrupt desires and despise authority, we are free from all that in Christ. In Romans 6, 17 through 18, it says, But thanks be to God that though you were slaves to sin, though you were slaves to sin, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed, which was Jesus, that's what they were preaching, and having been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. I want you to know that we're free from all that old stuff dragging us down, all those fleshly desires, corrupt desires, that we are free from that because of the work that Christ did in us. And I want you to know that, that God knows how to rescue you from temptation as well. Because you will be tempted. Even Jesus was tempted, but he did not sin. And Jude 1.24 says, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling... And make you stand in the presence of his glory blameless with great joy. God will keep you from stumbling if you'll keep his eyes on him. 1 Corinthians 10.13 says, No temptation has overtaken you, but such is common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also, so that you will be able to endure it. See, the truth is that, that you will be tempted. And oftentimes you may be tempted by men claiming to be preachers of the word of righteousness, but they're preaching a twisted word. But even still, you're free from those temptations of getting involved in that stuff that they're, that they're ministering to, and God will always provide a way of escape. And many times that'll be just knowing your words, so you know that these are false teachers. Now, as we've talked about that there's a penalty for sin and there's judgment for sin, I just want to make sure, make it clear, and spend time in the Word talking about that we are free from that judgment. We don't have to be worried if if we make a mistake and we indulge in some sin or that God's going to come down and destroy us because the Bible says in John 3.18, He who believes in Him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. You know, we have something that those that those stories that we just read about in the Old Testament, that they did not have. And that was that Jesus Christ has came and died for us. God's not going to destroy this world because all that wrath has been placed in His Son. Matter of fact, the Bible says that he who believes in Him is not judged. Why are we not judged? Because Christ was judged in our place. Don't be mistaken in thinking that God just forgot about all these things, all this sin and stuff. God is a just God. And the penalty had to be paid because the wages of sin is death. But I thank God that he sent his son to make that payment for us. Because it's a a bill that we could never afford. There's no amount of loans that you could take to pay that bill. We're not judged because he was judged in our place. And we are righteous because he made us right with God. He justified us before God. We believe in the Son of God for salvation, for our new life inside of us. Therefore, we've passed out a judgment. In Romans 5.1, it says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then we find that judgment has actually already been passed for those who don't believe. You know, there's this mistaken theory that when you die, You're going to stand before God and and weigh the good versus the bad. You know, many people who don't believe think, oh, well, I'm basically a good person. They think that the good that I've done is going to outweigh the bad that I've done, so, so God's still going to let me in. But the truth is, the Bible says that they have already been judged. There's not going to be any weighing of your sins to see if you're good enough to get into heaven. You either believed and received the salvation of our Lord Jesus Christ or you didn't. They've already been judged. But I just want to encourage you and remind you that we have passed out of judgment. Those who have been saved, we're not going to be judged. We're going to stand before the Lord, not for our sin. But basically to to explain what we've done with what we've got. But sin is not on the table because it's been taken care of by Jesus Christ. 2 Peter 2.10-11 says, and especially those who indulge the flesh in its corrupt desires and despise authority, daring, self-willed, they do not tremble when they revile angelic majesties, whereas angels who are greater in might and power do not bring a reviling judgment against them before the Lord. The picture that's being painted here by, by Peter is, is men who have no regard for authority. They've rejected the authority of Jesus Christ. They've rejected all authority, and they basically are doing whatever they want. They're, they're proud and only looking out for their own desires. The truth is, as Christians, we're to regard authority with respect. We're to submit because God is an orderly God. God is a God of order. In Romans 13, 1, it says, Every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. Christians are supposed to submit to authority. We're supposed to respect authority, but these men here, they despise authority. And all they do is what they want. They indulge themselves in the flesh. And they'll eventually be called to account. The truth is, it would be far better for them to have not just been saved than to do what they're doing, leading people astray. They'll be called to account for leading people's the children of God away from him. You see, these men do things that even angels wouldn't dare. In this case, it's like basically saying these men are bold enough, these men are brazen enough to even bring charges against angels. It says where angels who are greater in might and power, even they don't do that before the Lord. These men have so little respect for God that they would do things that even angels would not do you know I really like how the message bible says these couple verses of scriptures because I think it gives you a little bit better understanding than this you know the the word for word direct translation so this is what it says in the message bible second 2 peter 2:10 2, through 11 it says god is especially incensed against these teachers who live by lust I did air quotes because it's actually quoted in the Message Bible. (laughs) God is especially incensed against these teachers who live by lust, addicted to a filthy existence. They despise interference from true authority, preferring to indulge in self-rule. Insolent egotists, they don't hesitate to speak evil against the most splendid of creatures, even angels or superiors in every way, who wouldn't think of throwing their weight around like that, trying to slander others before God. That's the picture being painted here, is men of God who despise authority, who are willing to throw slanders around before God. And Peter, you know, Peter's really not happy with these people, because he keeps going. He's not happy with these false prophets. 2 Peter two twelve through 16 says, But these, like unreasoning animals born as creatures of instinct to be captured and killed, He's saying that these men are, are acting like wild animals. They're not even acting. They're just acting on pure instinct and doing what they're doing, thinking they can do whatever they want. He says they revile where they have no knowledge. They're, they're saying things that they have no knowledge about. They're coming across as men of authority when they have no authority. They're coming across as men of knowledge when they have no knowledge. They're actually talking about stuff they have no knowledge of. And it says, well, in the destruction of those creatures, and the destruction of others... Will themselves also be destroyed. Since <clears throat> suffering wrong as the wages of doing wrong, they count it as a pleasure to revel to revel in the daytime. You know what he's saying here is that these guys are so bad that they're not even they're not ashamed, they're not even trying to hide, they don't even just do it at night. They're doing all this stuff even in the daytime, broad day, they don't care. And it says they counted a pleasure to rev- revel in the daytime their stains and blemishes re- reveling in their deceptions as they carouse with you having eyes full of adultery that never cease from sin enticing unstable souls having a heart trained in greed accursed children forsaking the right way they have gone astray having followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor who loved the wages of unrighteousness but he received rebuke for his own transgression for a mute donkey speaking with the voice of a man restraining the madness of the prophet I'm starting to get the impression that Peter's not very happy with these people. I don't think he, he cares too much about them because he begins to, to really just call them out. These, these, these men are, are terrible men leading God's children astray. But the truth is that in their destruction of others, they're, they're storing up for themselves wrath in heaven. They, they will also be destroyed in Romans 2.5. Paul says this, but because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourselves in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. They're making a lot of noise of things they know nothing about, and they're doing so to lead others to destruction, whether they're doing it intentionally or they've been deceived themselves. It ain't a good thing that they're doing. And he goes, "They're, they're like Balaam and I hope I'm pronouncing that right, but if you've read the story of Balaam, he was a, a prophet of the Lord, and and uh, <coughs> Balak, the king of Moab, wanted him to come, as all the Israelites were camped outside of Moab, in the valleys of Moab, he wanted him to come and curse the Israelites. So, Balak calls up Balaam, and, and he says, hey, I want you to come and, and curse these Israelites for me, and I'll pay you large sums of money. And this guy shows up, because of the money. He was He was... <coughs> Received a rebuke because of his, he followed, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. You know, Balak or Balak was saying, I'll pay you tons of money to curse him. It's actually a funny story. You can read about it in Numbers 22 and 23. But basically, he tells him to come curse the Lord. And, and he's like, Okay, I'll do it. He's basically, I'm coming for the money, but I, I do warn you, I'm only going to say what the Lord's going to say. So he goes up to the mountain and sees over the valley, sees all the Israelites, and he goes to, to curse them, but instead he blesses them. And now the king's all ticked off. He's like, what are you doing? I, I told you to curse them, but you bless them. And, and King Balak goes, I got an idea. Let's go to a different place. Maybe you can curse them from this other mountain. So they walk around to the other mountain. They get out and he gets up there and he goes to curse them. And instead he blesses them. And he says, what are you doing? You just blessed them again. I told you to curse them. You know what? Don't curse them, but don't bless them either. Oh, well, Let's go to another place. We'll give it one more shot. Goes to the other place and the same thing happens. And now the king's kicked and ticked and he's like, you know what? You need to get out of here. You know, take your, get out of here. And he's like, I warned you. I would just say what God had to say. But the thing is, is that in the process, before he went up, because he was coming for the money, the angel, the angel of the Lord came to to stand between uh, Balaam and, and King King Balak. And the donkey sees this angel of the Lord standing in the way with a giant sword and begins to try to go the other way. And he kicks his donkey and he tries to go the other way again and he kicks his donkey and finally, the donkey turns around and talks to the guy. Can you imagine that? He says, dude, knock it off. And finally, basically he says, knock it off. He's like, what are you doing? Why are you, why are you acting this way? He's like, I've never acted this way before. There's probably a reason for it. And finally, the guy looks up and he sees the angel with the sword. And he says, you know, why do you strike your donkey? If it had not been for him, I would have killed you already. Humorous story. But the thing is, the point of all that was that he was turned by money. He was, greed was driving what he was doing. And it's the same thing with these men here. Second Peter 2 Peter 2.17-9, it says, These are springs without water and mists driven by a storm, for whom the black darkness has been reserved. For speaking out arrogant words of vanity, they entice by fleshly desires, by sensuality, those who barely escape from the ones who live in error. Promising them freedom while they themselves are slaves of corruption, and by what a man is overcome, by this he is enslaved. See, the problem with people like this is they have nothing to give, they have nothing to offer. It says right here that they are springs without water. Do you guys know what a spring is without water? It's not a spring anymore, <laughs> it's nothing. It's nothing. These guys are springs without water. They're nothing. They have nothing to offer. And here it says, they are mist driven by a storm. There are these, these mist, they're these mists. They're blown away by a storm. They have no substance in and of themselves. They are nothing. And it's interesting that they are nothing. They have nothing to give, but they're still dangerous. So why, if they have nothing to give, why are they still dangerous? Because we find here that they, they speak out arrogant words of vanity. Basically, they talk themselves up. They talk a good game. They lift themselves up and they're trying to entice people. And then they also appeal to fleshly desires. You know, they're preying on people who, who can be easily deceived. They're trying to offer something that they think that they can't get from somewhere else. They're trying to offer those fleshly desires. You know, a young person who's just been saved and they're trying to grow out of it. It's very easy to get tempted until they, they grow on the Lord and know who they are. And that's what these people are doing. They're enticing them. All the while still promising them freedom. But the truth is that they themselves are slaves. And how many of you know that if you're a slave, you can't offer freedom? If you're a prisoner, I mean, if you were in prison and some other guy comes up and says, i got a surefire way to get out. Let me tell you about it. Just give me some money or whatever. My first thought would be, if you know a surefire way to get out, why are you still here? We shouldn't be, you know, if this is going to work, we shouldn't be having this conversation. That's what these people are doing. They're they're promising freedom while they themselves are enslaved. It says, because by what a man is overcome, by this is he enslaved. It doesn't say by what a man overcomes, but by what a man is overcome. These men are already overcome by desires of the flesh. They're overcome by sin. And if they're enslaved by this stuff, how can they offer you freedom? And in Second 2 Peter 2, 20-22, it says, For if after they have escaped the defilements of the world by the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled to them and are overcome. The last state has become worse for them than the first. You know, here's where I begin to realize that some of these men Peter are talking about, they were saved once. They were saved and somehow got corrupt, somehow were overcome again by what they were were freed from. And it says here that the last state has become worse for them than the first, for it would be better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than to have known it to turn away from the holy commandment onto them. It has happened to them according to the true proverb, a dog returned to its own vomit, and as so after washing returns to wallowing in the mire. See, these were men that were once saved. They didn't keep the faith. They got saved, and then they turned away. You know, it's, it's, to me, I've I've heard it argued that, you know, once saved, always saved. But scripture is pretty clear that you can walk away. Now, you can't lose your salvation because you had a bad day. But if you turn your back and walk away, you know, just like it was freely given to you, you can freely give it back. But, but Peter says they're worse off than the way they were in the first place. And I got a couple of things that come to mind. One is that, do you remember the scripture where Jesus said it's like a man who, who was freed from a demon and the demon went off into the, went away, but when he came back, he found the place cleaned out and ready for him to come back in. He brings even more friends with him. That demon comes back and because what was empty was never replaced with something else. You've know, you got to fill it with the Spirit of God if you don't want it to move back in. So one, that's what comes to mind to me is, is worse than the first because it probably came in a lot more harder and heavier than it was the first time, the, the enslavement that they were in. But even more so, these are, these are men who have tasted of the goodness of God. And they know of his freedom. They know of his forgiveness. They know of his love. Yet for some reason, turned away. And why do they stay that way? Maybe they're guilty. Maybe they're ashamed. I don't, I don't know. We don't know these people. We don't know the people that are operating in this way today. Why don't they come back? But how painful it must be to know that you were once free. But not be aware that you could pick that freedom back up again. For whatever reason, you're staying away. I want you to know that, that the truth is, as long as they stay in that state, they're forsaken. They've given, but they can come back. They can get back up. The problem is, is, is that the righteous man falls seven times and gets back up seven times, but these guys fell and never got back up. I want you to know that God still loves them and they could get back up, but the position they're in now is not a good one. Hebrews 6 6 says this. And then, having fallen away, it is impossible to renew them again to repentance, since they again crucified to themselves the Son of God and put him to open shame. The reason it's impossible to renew them again to repentance is because of this next sentence. It says, since they again crucified to themselves the Son of God and put him to open shame. Basically, what he's saying is that these men are doing the same thing the Jews did. He's not saying that they're literally crucifying them again, but they have the same attitude that the Jews did. When Jesus came and said, I am the Son of God, and I'm the way, the truth, and the life, they rejected him. And in that rejection, they crucified and killed him. That's basically what they're doing here. It's impossible to renew them to repentance while they're rejecting Christ, while they're pushing him away, saying, you're not who you say you are. It would have been better for them. If they had not gone down this path in the first place. Because the state they're in now is worse than the state they were in before. But in all this, this chapter is really quite somber. But I want to leave on a good note because I want you to know that that we will continue in the faith. In Colossians 1:21 through 23, it says, And although you were former formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds, it doesn't say that you are still now that way. It says you were formerly. Alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds. It says yet he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death. Christ died for you, in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. How many know that it's good to be beyond reproach when you stand before the Lord because of what Christ has done in your life? Beyond reproach. But here's what it says: If indeed you continue in the faith, firmly established and steadfast and not moved away from the hope of the gospel that you have heard, which was proclaimed in all creation under heaven, in which I, Paul, was made a minister of. You see, we look at what Peter is talking about, these men Peter are talking about, we're to be warned against them to not be led astray, but also I want you to know that that's, that's not for us. The judgment, the pain, everything that they're going for, it's not for us because we can continue in the faith, we can continue to trust God, and receive and accept that gift of salvation. Now we need to be wise and be aware of those those wolves in sheep's clothing so that we are not ourselves deceived and led astray. But we can take comfort in the fact that we have been reconciled, that we are holy and we are blameless because of our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Let's go and stand to our feet and we'll uh, close this service.